the four o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, here we are, 4 o'clock hour. We're going to talk to Caleb Herring, some UNLV football. They've got a game tomorrow against San Jose State. Friends on uh, the sidelines with Brent Brennan for uh, San Jose State. And, of course, Marcus Arroyo went to San Jose State and his pals with Brennan. So that's an 8 o'clock start tomorrow. Still plenty of good tickets at Allegiant. Should be a fun game. San Jose uh, not having the season they want to have. Certainly the Rebels are not having the season they want to have. San Jose, though, is a dynamic uh, defensive team up front. They showed that in the uh, Friday game last week against San Diego State. All right, Adam Candy. Speaking of dynamic, how about the Raiders coming out of the gates here and I'm not going to go with this uh, theory that, uh, you know, they're unshackled since John Gruden is gone because Gruden was trending in this direction. And that direction is the vertical passing game. We've talked about it forever. They showed good signs to start the season. Gruden goes bye-bye unceremoniously. Uh, Greg Olson calls the plays, and they explode even further with the vertical game. With uh, And that included the run game, too. Uh, seven plays over 25 yards, which is a freaking high number within a game. Are you pleased with what you've been asking for for a long time from this Raider coaching staff and Raider roster? Maximize what you have. You have a quarterback who can throw the ball deep, who has shown a renewed willingness to stand in the pocket after a couple of games of, let's say, hiccup, uh, where he was a little bit less comfortable behind an offensive line that we know has had its issues this year. So the Raiders right now lead the NFL in explosive pass plays. That's a remarkable stat. 20-plus yard plays, the Raiders lead the NFL. And we've said all along that if you're going to have the insistence on the run game that John Gruden had and also pair it with not letting Derek Carr throw the ball down the field, every offensive drive is going to feel like you are headed into that 50-mile-an-hour wind that Brian Blessing just mentioned. You're going to be trying to go uphill both ways on the field. And for the Raiders, that's not anything that was proving to be successful in the long term. Now, Olsen versus Gruden, well, you know, interesting comments from the players today. Interesting comments from the players. I think we'll get into uh, a little bit later in the show. But uh, Josh Jacobs talked about how it was a very different feel on the sideline this week. Do you think the personnel was ready to do this last year, the vertical game? You and I have gone back and forth, and you know, lots of people have been on rugs. Were they ready a year ago? If you don't actually take the shots, how do you know? Uh, and that's the thing. Like, you never really gave rugs the opportunities to do it, and he came through a couple of times for you in some big spots, like against the Jets. Um, I think that when you look at adding in Kenyon Drake um, and now finally using Kenyon Drake on that kind of route last week, uh, you see their dimensions to this offense that, yes, I get it. That wasn't there last year with Kenyon Drake, but Nelson Aguilar did not come into this offense last year as reputed deep threat Nelson Aguilar. They turned him into that as part of the offense. Um, the offensive line was better last year than it is this year, so Derek Carr would have time in the pocket. He showed a willingness to stand in the pocket that we hadn't seen the same way in previous years. So I'm not even sure they have more personnel able to do it this year i just think they've shown more willingness to use what they have four and two 
not a shock to me. I thought they'd go five and two out of the gates. I had no idea when we were picking based on the schedule when it came out that you know, they'd be John Grudenless, so that might change things a little bit. Might have changed my opinion, but we'll see if they're onward and upward from here. Um, I looked at the exact win prop for the Raiders. The updates today, they're four and two. Eight is still the favorite. So they're they're the the two to one to go eight and nine. Nine wins is plus 220. Seven, holy cow. That would be disappointing. Seven and 10 after a four and two start. Seven wins is plus 350. 10 is four to one. 11 is seven to one. What do you like? Yeah, I mean, short shot makes sense there when you look at the schedule, uh, the second half of the season for this team. It's not the friendliest overall. Um, right. Even the easy games are on the road. So you, know, you look at what's uh, what's left for them. You still haven't seen the Chiefs. Um, you got the Chargers again. You know, and like I said, you don't. You're looking forward to playing the Giants. You don't want to have to go to New Jersey to do it. So the schedule still has a lot of tricky spots left for this team. Which bets do you feel better about? These were my plays. Um, Broncos under eight and a half plus one ten is what I got it at, or Raiders over plus one twenty five. Over what? Oh, that's a good point. Eight. Raiders eight over one twenty five. Broncos eight and a half under one ten. Yeah, probably Broncos uh, out of those yeah. two. Uh, there's not a huge difference in the price, and you're getting the hook uh, in the Broncos bet. Um, do now I that, think those, the Raiders? That was the preseason number, Candy. Those are the preseason right. numbers. Yeah. Right, I understand, and I'm saying you can't um, you can't look at the Raiders and easily project ten or eleven at this point. But I'm holding over seven. Do I think they'll get to eight? Yeah, I do think they'll ultimately get to eight wins uh beginning with this week i want to put you on the spot because i was looking for this the other day and i couldn't find it um have we seen anyone get aggressive with the adjusted win totals through six weeks have you seen it anywhere you know what it's not a market that i've paid a lot of attention to um it's something that i talked about before the season a whole lot with in specific and i've got receipts on this uh carolina and saying that if the panthers got out to a hot start i would be looking to play any under i could find on their adjusted wins just because of the way the schedule is set up before we knew anything about sam darnold so uh but i have not paid a lot of attention to it as we've gone along i want to play the cowboys under but i got to get the number what are we cowboys. playing under what's the number well, that's the thing. I have to get the number. <laughs> I didn't know if you had one. You sounded like no, you had one. No, no, I actually made a, a friendly wager. You know, it's funny. I already forgot what the number was. I'll have to find, remember. The, uh, I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, I was hanging out with a Cowboys fan, and he, he was all jacked up, and he set the number, I thought, way too high. It might have been 13. I was like, I'll take under. Yeah. Oh, my God. If you Yes, yes, under 13, <laughs> without question, under 13. Yeah. yeah. I thought you were going to tell me something like 11. I'd be like, yeah, well, 10 and a half, 11 is probably right on. I think there are a lot of Cowboy fans and Cowboy followers who believe they're going to win 13, 14 games. I mean, they're, they're like minus 1,200 now to win the NFC East. Yeah, they should be minus 1,200 to win the NFC East. But, you know, if you want to assume health the rest of the season to the point where you're going to take a team in the Cowboys situation and say, oh, yeah, no question they're going to win uh, eight of uh, – God, I hate having to do the new math on this – eight of their last 11 games – uh, sure. Yeah, go for it. You can take that wager. I'll be on the other side. Good feature story on what became the uh, internet story at the UNLV game. That slot machine that really blew up on social media. And a dude at the Athletic wrote a story about it. Did you get a chance to read the story? It's the the slot machine is just <laughs> it's fascinating, man. This thing is fascinating. So IGT. 
uh, made the machine for him. It weighs 700 pounds. Uh, I was next to it on the sideline. Uh, I didn't actually touch it. I didn't try to, you know, freaking, uh, you know, work it like a sled and tip it over. I wouldn't do that uh, because it cost $60,000. Um, I thought it was really fun. I, I thought it was a, you know, a couple of cool moments. My God, the internet is just, you know, it's, it's, it, you get everything from social media. On this dude's story, every comment was just some negative crap comment. I'm like, my God, are college football players and programs allowed to have a little bit of fun? What is wrong with people? I think I would like it more if the slot machine were actually in the end zone. And as soon as the player <laughs> scores a touchdown, they can go right over to it. Um, yes. I will tell you, I would like that too from a couple of experiences. One, I don't know if you saw, there were a bunch of videos out. I got one up early and like Bleacher Report picked it up. And then all of a sudden, you know, I see all these alerts, like people are watching it. And my video was screwed up because if you watch my video, I'm in with the players and all of a sudden my, the, the phone, cause yeah, I don't have a camera there. I've got just got my little phone. And I'm, all of a sudden I dipped down to the ground because I was getting jostled and I was legitimately like, my God, I'm in the midst of all these dudes who are completely fired up. I'm going to get my head ripped off here. My finger then popped into the shot and then, you know, finally I popped it up. But, uh, there are actually a couple of really good videos in there. Um, but my point on, if, if we were in the end zone, I guess I would be potentially safer because there was another moment. I think it was the, Tavis Malakias blocked field goal uh, in the fourth quarter, and I'm at one end, and all of a sudden, Adam Plant, who's 6'5 and 250 pounds, decides that I'm not there. And I'm my back is to him, and thank God he didn't run me over, but he like he went by my right arm, and I was like, oh, my God, I almost died. Do we have established rules as to <laughs> when you were allowed to pull the handle on the slot machine because I feel like this could get really really loose like I don't want somebody going out and making an open field tackle and then taking off for the sideline to go pull the slot machine Steve Jenkins bubble screen for eight they're like come off the field let's go pull it yeah no see, Absolutely. I actually I I think there's actually a fine line you know with the way the Rebels have I think they've played pretty well in most of the games right obviously Iowa State game was rough you do have to balance the celebration and the outcomes of these games, and you know, at some point, if you're over there like seven times a game, and then you're not winning games, there are going to be some people who are going to get a little bit irked with with all. Yeah, the and, and well, and that was the point that I brought up with a couple of my friends talking about it over the weekend. I was like, "This is cool. I'm not sure zero and five is the time to unveil it because it just feels like ugh, ugh. I was a little uh, awkward." Yeah. It's funny. I thought of that with there were rebel defenses in the past that struggled. Um, especially middle of the season on in the Sanchez era. And they had a Chucky doll, which, by the way, I'm sure they've burned that by now. They had a Chucky doll, and on turnovers, they would hold it up and celebrate. Um, and there were some games where, you know, maybe things weren't going the right way. And I'm like, eh, I think let's put down the Chucky doll for now. Let's keep it in the chest. No, and what he- happens when someone say from, I don't know, the first time the Wolfpack get here, Decides they're going to make a beeline for the slot machine. Well, then you better not. You better not have it in the end zone, then, right? If they want to go through a wall of rebels on the sidelines. All I'm saying is somebody, somebody knows before the game that they want to take off and make a little hook around the ends of the players at like the ten or twenty yard line, rip the thing down, then take off. I'm telling you, man, we we could start some stuff. Well, I wouldn't 
put it past Reno because uh, there was a case about three years ago in the rivalry. They were doing the, the walkthrough over at Sam Boyd, and someone decided to take a leak on the field from the Wolfpack side. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. They need a guy who's going to show that you do not come to the Cleveland Browns just to collect a check, that you go out there and you play injured or or hurt or even injured. And that's what he represents. So I love what he's doing in the decision to say, you know what? I'm going to go out there and be a tough guy and show you guys how it's done. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battle Born Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Well, fine line. That was Gerard Carey, former NFL player, uh, Browns, well, Cleveland area broadcaster, talking about the toughness of Baker Mayfield. Let's bring in our quarterback, Caleb Herring, former Rebel quarterback, one of the voices of the Rebels here on ESPN Las Vegas. Uh, Vegas. Caleb, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. How you guys doing? We're good. Let's talk about toughness at the quarterback position because we'll eventually transition to the Rebels. I'm not sure that I completely agree that uh, you know it's in the best interest of a quarterback to go out there and and, uh, you know, go out on his shield if he's seriously injured, especially in a short week uh, with winnable games on the way. You don't want to destroy your season by risking Baker Mayfield in a one-game short week spot, do you? No, you don't. And I think, you know, with the way that this season's shaping up, with the longer season, there's an extra game this year for the NFL. And with the way that division especially is shaping up with, you know, Baltimore and and with the Bengals, you know, looking like they're going to be contenders. It's it's not wise to waste yourself, I guess, early on in the season, if, if you can help it. Um, if this is not um, some season-ending injury or something like that, and maybe a week off would help him get back to 100% so he's available for the long haul, I think, you know, it, it, it's, it's good to be tough, but it's also good to be smart, especially when you're talking about the quarterback. And um, that position impacts the game on so many different levels. I think it's more important to be available than it is to, you know, be a tough guy. And, You've seen some of that, you know, with UNLV, talking about our local situation with UNLV, where the quarterback's availability has made a drastic impact on on the season. So I, I think toughness, yeah, you, you applaud it when it's necessary. And there's always it's always been said there's a difference between uh, being hurt and being injured. And I think if if you're on that straddling that line as a quarterback, I think resting up and there's nothing wrong with uh, saying you need the week off and, and getting yourself back to 100 percent for your team. Well, the update, I think, is good. Nothing's official on Cameron Friel, who looked really beat up and couldn't finish the game on Saturday night against Utah State. I was out there at practice on Monday night, and, you know, he was running around a little bit. He looked pretty good. Uh, You know, there was some good side-to-side motion, was throwing the ball well, so I think he's probable uh, for the game on Thursday, which speaks to his toughness. Um, What's your vibe now on Doug Brumfield? It looks like they're going to be extra careful, and we're not going to see him until he's 100% from this back injury. Yeah, I think that that's the vibe I'm getting too, Steve. It's one of those things where you know, you're know you not sure what the injury is. Obviously, we don't know the specifics of it, but with the way that they're being cautious, the program's being very cautious with bringing him back and rushing him back, I think, one, that's a sign that you know he's, he's the future. I think everybody can kind of see that he's the future at quarterback. Um, and it's just a, a case of having to wait to see that future develop on the field, unfortunately. But the sense is that they're going to take their time with him. And anytime you're talking about, um, you know, w- what we thought it could have been, you know, the way he got beat up at Arizona State and 
uh, the precautions they took with him on that trip back and, and things like that, you know, the nature of the injury, how serious it was, was up in the air. But uh, there's no doubt that they're being uh, very deliberate in, in uh, using all the time available to them, uh, especially with, you know, Cameron Friel as a similar in age who has been developing and making some progressions. Unfortunately, he's been banged up too. But I think definitely with Doug, the seriousness of the injury is, is something that I think maybe we didn't fully account for at the time. But as weeks go on and you see how delicate they are with his reps and his minutes and and with even bringing him to games at, at times, it's it's definitely something that they're taking their time and, and making sure he's back at 100%. Like I said, it's worth it to make sure he's at 100% the next time he takes the field as opposed to, you know, 70 75% banged up and, and risk furthering that injury especially if it's something serious for a quarterback like the back or or some other neck injury perhaps you know whatever the case may be that is serious and maybe detrimental to his career the the long haul of his career where maybe he doesn't throw the ball the same ever again if you if you run the risk of of getting that re-aggravated or injured more severely Gil, it's obvious that the quarterback switching and changing the injuries and all the inconsistency that the Rebels have had at the position makes it that much harder to win and obviously to win close games when we talk about uh, whether it's Eastern Washington, whether it's Fresno, whether it's this past week against Utah State. But I have a friend who has watched UNLV for a number of years who said to me, I thought something interesting and said, this team right now looks like it doesn't know how to win. It doesn't know how to finish out these close games and how to get over that hump. Do you think that's a real thing? Is it a real thing to know how to close out a game, how to win? Or is that just a matter of talent, execution, et cetera, and, and not some sort of you know broader concept? There is something to that. And I think uh, when it gets right down to it, execution and, and, and the fundamentals – are what you're aiming at when you're talking about knowing how to win. And that's you, you have to do that, obviously. But I think one of the things I wouldn't necessarily say it's knowing not knowing how to win, but it's knowing how to win and realizing that there's pressure in those things and to execute those things that you know that you need to do. I think, uh, for instance, in this last game against Utah State, I think everybody in the building at a point in that game, I think maybe with nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, um, is thinking if we get a couple of first downs, we're feeling pretty good. Or if we score on this drive, chances of winning this game are great. And I think then during those times, a simple bubble screen, the gravity of the game is on that bubble screen. I think everybody knows you have to execute it. Um, everybody knows you have to get a first down. You have to move the chains to keep the clock on, et cetera, et cetera. So then throwing that bubble screen, feels so much harder and you saw the result i think with you know a freshman trying to complete that bubble screen to space out the offense and let charles williams have some space to run um, and then also you see it in the, the next play where you got a young freshman who understands again what we have to do to win i know we need a first down i know we need to control the clock and keep this possession alive so here i go on second down trying to force the issue and make something happen and then you make mistakes and you don't execute and and things unfold the way they do so it's I, it could be that you don't know um, what to do to win. But I think what I've seen from this team is knowing what to do, but not being able to execute it in the critical moments down the stretch that that winning is decided or in those critical third down moments or, uh, you know, comeback drives or or milk the clock drives, not being able to execute what you know needs to be done in order to come out with the win. And it's one of those things where once you do it, um, you reach that summit, it becomes easier to do it the next time, right? Like you got your route mapped out up Everest and and you know kind of the roadmap and you get there a little easier each time you do it so 
um, it, it's something to get that first one. And unfortunately, still struggling to get it this season. But once they do get it, I think this team has the tools available to them if they're healthy, if they're all available um, to be able to win some games down the stretch. And, you know, it's like we saw this past week, Utah State was a very winnable game. And I think this is the first time where you can legitimately say they lost the game and, and weren't just happy to be in the thick of things at the end of it. So it sounds like your belief is that, you know, because you mentioned a couple of plays related to the quarterback. I mean, maybe that is directly related, you know, when we talk about the inconsistency of quarterback and that, you know, not really having the experience to execute the plays to win, right? Because it sounds like you, your experience as a quarterback, that would be the kind of situation where whether you've done it before or whether you're just in the position of knowing it's your job and you're trying to settle the team down that you can have some influence on. Yeah, and this it goes back to my overall philosophy. And I, I remember years ago, it, it became a, kind of a, a, a slight on a quarterback to call him a game manager. And I think that's the most important attribute of a quarterback, to be able to manage games and manage situations. And I think, you know, Cameron Friel, in my opinion, missed on a couple of throws. And it's, it's not to knock on him or, or to say he played so terrible and it's all his fault. But the difference between winning and losing falls on a couple of plays. And the person who impacts plays the most on a football team is a quarterback. And you can be one piece away and, and come up short. And I think there was a, a couple of throws out there. And look, there's penalties also that wipe some of his good throws off the board. Let's just keep that in mind. But I think definitely the quarterback's play um, is the first thing that I personally point to because that's how I look at the game um, can influence whether or not the game falls one way or the other. And I think there was a couple of plays like that bubble screen and like that interception at probably the, the most critical juncture in a ball game um were, were negative plays that i think impacted the outcome um who's to say that those are the only two there's more and I'm, I'm sure we can go down the film i think there's a screen to courtney reese that got caught back for a tripping uh penalty in the second half that that would have been huge for the rebels to you know at least get a field goal out of that drive right so there's a lot of things that you can point to but i always point to quarterbacks because they have the ball every snap offensively they get things set they get things lined up and their efficiency is almost directly correlated to the offense efficiency so um, it, it is what it is. And having a young quarterback in that spot, it's tough, but it is what the Rebels are dealing with. And even if it was Doug out there, he's still young, right? He's not in a fifth-year senior who's been there, done that, and understands the nuance of every situation, his role, and how he can impact it. So it's one of those things. You, you just got to get better as things go on, and the experience, I think, will, will show itself over the years. Caleb Herring's with us. Voice of the Rebels played quarterback for – UNLV, we were just talking about the slot machine, which I got an up-close look at. Very cool. I think a really cool prop on the sideline. It took off uh, nationally on social media. But there are the curmudgeons out there. If you're not winning, can you have fun during a football game, Caleb? Yeah, I think you sh you're supposed to, right? I mean, you don't know that you're going to win or you're going to lose until the thing's over, right? And you, you play every down like it's your last. You, you, this game is such a beautiful game and it, it can be snatched away from you with injury or whatever um, at any moment during a 60 minute game you don't know if you're winning or losing the game um, it's okay to enjoy those moments that 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 spring up uh, during those 60 minutes during those four quarters it's okay to enjoy those and celebrate those um, there's nothing wrong in my mind with with celebrating um, even if you don't necessarily come out with a victory now if you're pulling the slot machine and you, after scoring a touchdown and you're down 40 to 7 yeah, I mean, that's that's a totally different scenario, but you're in a tight ball game and it's fun to be in those kind of games, whether or not you're up on the scoreboard at that moment. It's fun to participate in. And then, then more importantly, I think with the collegiate system and, and doing things like this in college, why it kind of caught on. It's a tool to to simulate an environment that every kid wants to be a part of. 
and uh, like seeing on social media you know chuck rolling over to that slot machine and pulling it with his teammates jumping up and down in the background it's something unique and that's exclusive i think to unlv and and that gets a brand sold out there to unlv where kids uh, obviously things have gone viral right the things all over the place right now so uh, kids are seeing that and that's a definitely recruiting tool kids are going to want to be a part of that kids are going to want to pull that slot machine and earn the right to do it so then you get kids that are interested in coming to your program so and the curmudgeons like you said the people that are down talking it already um it, to me it just it, it in this day and age whether or not you're affiliated with the program directly if you're an employee of unlv these days the conversation that is structured around that negativity that energy the sapping that energy out of the program it makes it harder to keep the interest of those guys right like the people that are maybe like oh that sounds fun maybe it's something i want to go do and then all of a sudden the next in the comment section on that same viral tweet they see guys saying well there's still a bunch of losers on the field i mean that it, you think people don't see that i mean whether or not you have a voice on it you think kids don't see those things and then maybe it deters them from going over to UNLV. So I, I'm it, in my mind is, can the kids just have some fun? We want kids to be enticed to come to UNLV. We want them to have a good time playing at UNLV and to establish some traditions and some culture where football is fun and people have a good time out at Allegiant Stadium. Why not let that one live? The slot machine, I think, was a great idea. Let it live, let it flourish, and see what the results are. Let's, uh, let's wrap on this one, Caleb. I know you're a big college football fan. Let's talk college football playoff. Uh, here's my prediction of what will happen at the end of the season. Uh, Georgia, one loss in. Alabama, one loss in. Ohio State, one loss in. Oklahoma, unbeaten in. Cincinnati, unbeaten out. I, I That I agree with. Cincinnati, out. I agree with unbeaten or not. I think they're out. What? Um, I, I agree. I, I, I just – and look, this is – it's the same situation as UCF, right? I, I don't – looking at their schedule uh, with what's left – I can't say that they have the strength of schedule where I could say I've seen enough and I'm sure that they're in the top four. I could see it being I could see them getting in. I could see the the committee having favor and looking on that undefeated schedule with grace. But all truth be told, I don't think that a team with that kind of strength of schedule is going to get in. So I, I'll, I'll say this. I agree with you. Bama, Georgia um, with one loss each. I think Bama wins the SEC. Georgia basically gets a rematch of the SEC championship game in the final four if they make it to the finals. Um, so one and two, Bama, Georgia. I agree with that. Here's my scenario, and this is a huge what if scenario. Like it, a lot has to go right, in my opinion. Uh, Michigan wins out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Michigan wins out, <laughs> knocking Ohio State out of contention, and also Michigan State and Penn State and everybody else in the Big Ten. Because if Michigan wins out, they're in, no doubt about it. Um, and then because Michigan, on its way to winning out, has knocked off three other teams that are in the way of the Pac-12, hear me out, hear me out. Wow. Oregon sneaks back in oh by God. winning out and winning the Pac-12 championship. That's my what-if scenario. That's, I think, an ideal situation for me. Coming from the West Coast, I'm slightly jaded. Um, I would like for that to be the case. I could see it being the case, but I think there's a road for that to be the Final Four. Georgia, Bama, Michigan, and Oregon sneaking in late. Call me crazy, but I'd like to see it happen. Jeez, it's like we fight you on things. You were all ready to fight. I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I just think. I just think nobody wants the Pac-12 to be in the Final right. Four. It's right. just been a thing for like the last six years that the Pac-12 either beats themselves up when they have a chance, or just doesn't have it that year. And I think Oregon finally piqued the interest enough to to have a say, maybe. And I would like to see the Pac-12 get in 
and replace the ACC with, with Clemson having a, 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 a tough go of it this year. I would like to see a Pac-12 team and Oregon stepped up to the plate. And I think I think if they went out, why not give them a shot? Like I said, if that scenario plays out, I'd be a happy man. All right, Caleb, good spot. We'll uh, hear from you and see you tomorrow over at Allegiant for the San Jose State game. All right, guys, sounds good. See you there. There is Caleb Herring, voice of the Rebels, former quarterback for UNLV, also a uh, co-host on the Marcus Arroyo radio show. Candy's here, Ari Cofield, Angels helping out at the uh, Battleborn Injury Lawyer Studios just past the halfway point of the show. I am actually going to correct what I was saying about the CFP. That is not my accurate prediction. I don't believe that Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State are going to have one loss and you know the, the whole unbeaten thing with Cincinnati. So we'll set the record straight on that one. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Stay up to date on the Raiders, the Golden Knights, and UNLV Athletics on the Press Box with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Weekday mornings at 7 on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 a.m. and 100.9 FM. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, Candy, last couple days we've been talking about this uh, rising desire of some people, I think, to play. Maybe they're, I don't know what they're doing. Uh, This whole thing about the same game parlays. And you just pointed out that one of the uh, national sports books tweeted out, hey, what does everyone have tonight on their same game parlay? Is this a troll or or are they they also reading the numbers? Like, hey, the hold on this this is 30%. Let's get people to do it. Yeah, it's uh, here's the thing. All of these sports books want to find a way to differentiate themselves. They all want something that makes them stand out. Obviously, something that makes profit at the same time. And FanDuel, I believe, was the first to come up with the concept uh, a couple of years back. And others have since jumped on and you know rode the bandwagon along with them. And so if it's something that's popular with people to try to say, oh, yeah, here, you know, throw five bucks at it, throw 10 bucks at it, see if you can turn it into four or five outcomes that all land and you're making uh, you're making big money. That's great. But understand what it is, right? If you do that, the odds that you're playing are starting to get out to lottery ticket kind of odds. You're not actually just betting on sports at that point. You are essentially getting a scratch off ticket and trying to see if you might be able to make your money back uh, or, or, you know, or land something that doesn't land often. Well, I wanted to play one today because I'm hooked. Um, but it's Coastal Carolina and App State, so they weren't offering a lot of options on this one. So what do you think of this ticket? Uh, I've got mm-hmm. Coastal Carolina minus four and a half for the game. App State first half plus three. First half under 30, game over 61. Um, are you a big fan of those videos where they have a giant flaming ring and someone rides a motorcycle up a ramp and tries to see if they can get themselves through the ring without crashing or catching on fire? Because that's essentially what you're doing with your same game parlay, Steve. What's what? What? It's a fourteen parlay. I got a shot, baby. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Your, your odds are your odds are just fantastic. They're 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 super. Um, I just yeah, sent it to you can, on our messaging system. If you, I, I think if you read it, it will look better. Maybe you got confused. Mm. Okay, I have now read it. Um, I've now taken the whole thing in. I have calculated your odds, and I would like you to just give me the money instead. <laughs> You'll be the book. Okay. All right. Well, buyer beware. I'll take good care um, of it. 
here's another thing. Buyer beware on this one. So uh, USA Today, the last couple of weeks, has been charting the undefeated teams and you know who could lose week to week in college football. So there's 11 remaining unbeaten teams. Uh, we actually have a couple of them going today and tomorrow. Uh, SMU is playing Tulane. Coastal Carolina, as I just mentioned, playing App State. Um, now, with that, I also saw a story. The experts at CBS Sports for college football were all picking their final four now in college football. And seven of them made their selections. Only two of the seven had Alabama in the final four. Stop getting cute. You CBS sports cuties. Stop it. Okay, let's say the notion is that Georgia runs the table and beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. And I'm going to go with it's within a touchdown game. Is Alabama shut out at that point? Does anyone – I'll take it further. Does anyone really believe that anyone else in the country is going to come out of this season unbeaten or in many cases even with one loss? Have you – have people not watched the balance around college football? What makes anyone believe that anyone in the Big Ten – is going to come out of this with one loss because I do not believe that. I don't believe that's the case in the Pac-12. I'm not even sure that Georgia can go unbeaten. They can certainly lose to Alabama if they make the SEC title game. This is going to be an absolute bloodbath by the end of the year with utter confusion and a bunch of one and two loss teams. How long ago was it, Steve? I'm trying to remember. It was four years ago, five years ago that we wasted all sorts of oxygen talking about whether a two-loss Alabama team was going to get in, right? Mm -hmm. And then what happened? They got in. And then what happened once they got in? They won the whole damn thing. Mm -hmm. So the precedent is already there. Like We shouldn't even think about this. You, know, you lose a field goal game on the road in the SEC, and then you go lose to the consensus best team in the country. You're probably still getting in. By the way, I didn't mention Oklahoma this year. Another team that is not going unbeaten. Where's Spencer Rattler going to play in next year? <laughs> what school? Or where is he going to make the NFL? No, I'm just saying, like, you know, have you, do you remember another situation where the consensus Heisman favorite before the season was benched midseason in a transfer portal era where he could show up literally anywhere next year? I, I don't. I, I, I don't. Amazing. I'm sure it's probably happened that there were, well, I don't know. I don't know if it's happened, but. That was the quarterback uncertainty coming into this year. Um, and the situation at Oklahoma, I guess, is kind of unique. But, you know, most most of these top eight, nine, ten programs are going to have someone pretty good behind the, the top guy. And, like, the next guy is in line and can challenge uh, the starter if the starter's a little bit down. And Rattler just has not been as good as we expected him to be. No, he hasn't. And I think it also goes to show that college football is a completely different animal than other sports because Lincoln Riley can get away with this because of the control he has, because of the cachet he has, because of the credit he has. This doesn't fly in the NFL. You can't pull this in a league where players are more empowered, even though compared to the NBA, the NFL players have relatively no power whatsoever. But you can do this because 
college football coaches are gods. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting. All right, let's go behind the counter, find out what's going on at the book. The super book, Westgate, Art the Caesar is up with Candy and Cofield. What's up, Art? Hey, how you doing, gentlemen? Pleasure to We're be good. here. We're good. We're uh, good. I want to hit the super contest numbers and see what's going on in terms of uh, sharps and squares and action so far. So uh, uh, we have to start out with a Thursday game and the big news that Baker Mayfield ain't going to play. It's going to be Case Keenum. So what are we seeing right now? I know the, the contest number it was uh, or is Browns 2 uh, over the Broncos. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Baker being out, huge news. Anytime you have a quarterback out, it's big news. And when you have a top quarterback out, it's even bigger news. You know, that line with Baker would probably be sitting at, you know, minus six Browns, short week, Browns at home. But, yeah, sitting at two Broncos, and you you saw nothing but Bronco money flood in. You know, it's hard. It's going to be hard to back Case Keenum in this spot. So it be interesting to see what happens and where the number actually closes. Does it skew even more towards the Broncos? But, Nothing but Bronco money so far. Broncos sitting, getting two. Browns minus two at home. So, Art, you mentioned a moment ago you think it might be even a full six uh, with a healthy Baker. And I know a lot of places opened at five. So what was the uh, the injury uncertainty already a little bit uh, factored in when it came to the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you got to look at it like that. And not only Baker, you know, they got a ton of injuries just regardless. So the Browns are pretty banged up. And obviously, when you have the quarterback banged up, it's going to be the big, the, the big number mover. So, you know, once you have that, the short week, all these other guys can't get healthy and time to play for a Thursday night game. And the quarterback's out. It, it's going to be a killer. And, you know, Denver's been okay. They haven't been, you know, they're not a bottom feeder. They're kind of a middle-of-the-road team. So, yeah, it's, uh, that, that's where you got to look at it. You know, we didn't know what to do. But once the quarterback's out, that number's going to really move. Uh, what do you think about the Packers eight and a half against the football team? Yeah, football team. You know, football team. It was nine and a half. So you've seen some football team money come in, which is interesting because they've been terrible this year. I think they are. I want to say they're one and five against the number. They just have not been good. Defense hasn't looked good. That pass rush is not what everyone thought it was going to be. You now Packers look like another top team, a team who was in the NFC Championship game last year. It is a big number to lay. People have early taken. Washington, but Packer money always comes in. They're always Packer betters. So be interesting to see what happens. You probably will see some Packer money come in. You think the Bengals are alive plus six and a half against the Ravens? Yeah, you know, divisional game, right? Divisional game, sometimes it's, you know, you take the points and run. Ravens have been weird. You know, Ravens sometimes, you know, they, they beat the Colts, but they didn't look good for three quarters. And then last week, they absolutely demolished the Chargers. Chargers are a top team. So, you know, it's hard to figure the Ravens. Bengals are kind of that team that's on the rise with a young quarterback. Sometimes it's hard to trust the Bengals. But, you know, if you can get a divisional team getting six and a half points, they probably are a little bit of a live dog. I'm not a big Ravens fan myself, so I'd probably lean the Bengals. When do you start seeing a lot of the teasers come in, you know, the six, six and a half point teasers coming in? Because I would think the Ravens would be a popular team in a teaser. Yeah, for sure. I mean, those are going to be the key numbers you want to tease, right? A lot of times people want to take the favorites at 7, 6, and then you basically tease it to 1 and pick them, depending on how many points you're laying. Now, the teasers will probably start to come in 
over the next couple of days. People want to see where the line's going to settle, kind of where, you know, the money's flowing. But, yeah, Ravens are probably going to be a very popular team to tease. Even the Chiefs, even though you will be teasing through zero a little bit there, Chiefs are sitting at five and a half. You can see the Chiefs getting a lot of support on teasers because people just love to bet the Chiefs, even though they don't cover numbers, even though they did last week. But teaser money will start coming in the next couple of days. Arthur Teasers with us from the Westgate. Candy, myself, will be down on Sunday morning with the Sunday football preview show right there in the Superbook, getting ready for Football Central, run down the lines and all the injury updates from 8 to 9 a.m. Uh, before the doors to Central. Uh, check that Football Central open up at, uh, at 9 a.m. I just said that, yeah. So we'll be there from 8 to 10, <laughs> 8 to 9 with the live show. All right, Art, let's, uh, let's see. Are there, is there any sharp action so far on some of – the big dogs like the Lions plus 15, the Bears plus 12 and a half, or the Texans plus 18 and a half? I would say out of those three, the Bears, that number was 13 and a half. It's now 12 and a half. So you've seen some money coming on the Bears. You know, listen, we know how good Tampa is. They are two and four ATS. So, you know, they're not covering numbers. They're five and one overall. You know, with a, with a line that's that big, you're going to be apt to have the back door. So you've seen some action. Like I said, coming on the Bears, it's hard to back the Texans. I understand that's a number that's sitting at 18 and a half. But I, I don't know. They just don't look competitive, Houston. I know they won week one, but they don't look competitive at all. The Lion-Ram game is interesting because obviously that's kind of, you know, the, the quarterback switch. It's probably kind of a more of a revenge game for golf. Like, hey, you know, I'm still pretty good. We went to the Super Bowl. So I could see some money coming in on the Rams. I think the Rams will be a team that people want to back because maybe the Rams, you know, they just kind of go through the motions and win the game and don't win it by two touchdowns. What's the vibe down to the book in terms of play early on? I have no idea if there's a bunch of action on it, but uh, Raiders three against the Eagles. Yeah, Raider money. You know, people are looking at what happened last week. You know, Raiders. They, they responded. It was going to go one of two ways, right? That debacle was either going to kill them or they were going to respond. They responded. They now come home. The crowd should be good. Eagles have been up and down, so numbers sitting at three. It's a very reasonable number, so absolutely nothing but Raider money so far. All right, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much. Anytime, gentlemen. There he is, one of the guys down at the Westgate Superbook. Again, we're down there every Sunday morning, 8 a.m. with the Sunday football preview show. It'll be uh, myself and Candy getting ready for the Sunday slate in the National Football League. Giveaway time, Friday game, Vegas Golden Knights. Caller 7-364-1100-364-1100. You get two tickets to the Oilers and the Golden Knights. Again, coming up on Friday, if... You do not win the tickets. I'll give you a good option. Uh, we've got it up on uh, LVSportsNetwork.com. It's tickets for the flight deck. They're 160 a ticket. It's all you can eat, all you can drink, and you can get your flight deck tickets at LVSportsNetwork.com. Use the promo code radio. Right now we're giving away uh, two tickets. Ari will uh, handle the details at 364-1100. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.